The House of Representatives recently passed the 21st Century Cures Bill, comprehensive legislation that aims to fuel medical innovation so that more patients, including those with rare diseases, are helped by research breakthroughs sooner rather than later. Included in the bill, which is on its way to the Senate, are HIPAA privacy rule-related provisions that will potentially make changes in how patient data can be used and disclosed by healthcare organizations for research purposes. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking to privacy attorney Kirk Nara of law firm Wiley Ryan. Kirk will be offering his assessment of the bill's proposals and the potential challenges they pose to healthcare organizations if the bill's HIPAA-related provisions are eventually signed into law. So now, Kirk, for starters, what do you think are the most significant privacy and security-related proposals in the 21st Century Cures Bill? Well, the bill has been really interesting because it covers a lot of important issues, as you said in your introduction, dealing with healthcare innovation and trying to get better practices that will get drugs and other kinds of therapies out to patients sooner, and a lot of very complicated, challenging provisions on that. There are also a small number of provisions dealing with the privacy aspects of the overall topic, and it's been interesting because those provisions have gotten very little attention and are interesting and challenging in terms of what they're going to apply to. There's there's really sort of four different provisions, two of which I would call relatively limited and sort of positive but not, not big impact. The other two are more complicated and, and, and frankly raise a lot of questions about both whether they're good ideas and whether they're really addressing problems that need to be dealt with in terms of the privacy rules. Let me start with the first one, which is concern is that the HIPAA privacy rule somehow is impeding the ability to do healthcare research. So, first of all, that's a questionable statement. I mean, we can debate that. And I think people have a variety of different perspectives on whether the rule is helpful, harmful, neutral, would be fine if people understood it better, etc. So, there was this sense that we need to make information more available for research purposes And in the first provision dealing with research, what it does is it will open up the ability of healthcare providers and health insurers to share information for research purposes with other healthcare providers and other health insurers. There's some complexity there, and I think the real question is, one, how much value will there be, and two, are there privacy concerns that are raised with that? The second provision, just to be quick, is also very complicated, and it seems when you piece together a bunch of different components, it seems to allow disclosures of information for research purposes to pharmaceutical companies and device manufacturers, entities that are regulated by the FDA, and it seems to allow them to pay unlimited amounts to obtain that data. Usually you can't pay for protected health information, So that's a real complicated provision, and it's creating some significant potential privacy concerns there. So the other two, one is dealing with, there's provisions currently in the HIPAA rules that allow, that basically make it easier for researchers to get access to information in order to develop study protocols. 
you have to follow the full set of rules to do the research, but you have sort of a limited ability to come in and look at data to prepare a research proposal or a research protocol. Those rules were written when we used to deal with paper rather than electronic, and the idea is let's make sure people can access that information electronically on the same basis. So good idea, helpful idea, not that complicated, and, and not particularly controversial. We can debate whether it's going to make a lot of difference, but it's you know the impact will be positive, whatever that impact is. The other provision deals with authorizations, and the core concept of research under HIPAA is that Research is done with patient authorization, which is a specialized form of patient permission. There are other tracks and other ways to do it, but that's the core. There's been a tendency to read the authorization rules to basically say that it has to be study-specific or research project-specific, and this proposal will allow patients to basically give a one-time authorization for future research studies, which I think, again, will make information more easily available for those patients that want to make it available on a broader broader basis. So certainly will help, certainly will make some things easier. Again, not clear how broad that is just because it sort of assumes that there's information about particular patients that will be used for multiple studies. That may not, in fact, be the case for a lot of people. So I also understand that there is a provision that basically would turn research purposes to fall under the banner of uh, operations when it comes to treatment, payment, and operations so that covered entities could disclose this information without specific patient consent. Where does that fall with those other provisions? That was the first provision I mentioned. And it's, again, it's it's a little complicated. And, and two of these provisions that you said you really have to piece together several different components of the HIPAA rules to understand what what's going on here. And so... There's a provision currently in the HIPAA rules that essentially allows, let's just use a hospital, for example. It, it says to a hospital, as part of your healthcare operations, you can do, let's say, internal data analytics. You can do a study internally on emergency room treatment and see how well it's going. And you can clearly do that. But there's a weird provision that says you can do that unless the primary purpose of that study is for generalizable knowledge, which people have been reading as publishing a research report. No one really understands why that provision is in there. Why would, you know, why would you say use the data for your own internal purposes, but if you want to publish a study for, for other people to benefit from, you can't do it. So there's a sense that that's a problem and that we should change that, and nobody's really explained that provision very well. What they've done is they've said, all right, let's, instead of fixing that problem, directly, let's say all research can be done as part of healthcare operations, meaning the operations of the hospital, for example, and it allows the hospital to share information with any other covered entity, so any other hospital, any other pharmacy, any other health insurer. That may work fine, but it's, it's sort of a, a big fix to a potentially small problem and it allows for very broad disclosures of information. Now, I don't know whether people will actually do that. People may not say, well, you know what, I'm going to give to this other hospital all of my patient data just because they're doing research, but that's the possibility that comes up from that that kind of a fix to the said, that sort of small, weird problem. I, I would have preferred to see a more targeted solution to that problem. So now, what are the biggest potential 
changes that privacy and info security officers at covered entities would need to make at their organizations in order to comply with these provisions if they actually get signed into law? It's an interesting question. I mean, it's really not what I would say is a compliance obligation in the sense that what both of these, what all these provisions are doing is it's reducing the restrictions on information in connection with research. So the goal is to make it easier to use patient information for research purposes. So we will see some entities who will say, we're not going to take advantage of any of those opportunities. We're going to do exactly what we do today. And so the, the compliance impact would actually be very small if a company took that. I think the other challenge that's going to be sort of compliance related is what are people actually going to do with this information? For example, if a hospital is allowed to disclose all of its patient information or any component of its patient information to any other hospital anytime another hospital is doing research, are they actually going to do that? What are the criteria? What kind of controls are they going to want to have? How are they going to decide if it's useful research or not? You know, so I think there's a lot of challenges in that respect if people are going to take advantage of the opportunities provided by these provisions. But that's, again, where we have this balance between the privacy interests of the patients and sort of the operational activities of the hospitals. The, the other piece that I mentioned where drug companies will be able to do research themselves and get PHI and pay for that data, again, I think the challenge is going to be to design a program that is sort of a responsible way to use that opportunity. I don't think that selling off your data to the highest bidder who wants to pay the most to do research is going to end up being a smart way to do things. The law, if it's passed in these words, would actually seem to allow that, which which is why I think the the problem with that provision is really from the privacy side of, you know, individuals' privacy interests. But again, the hospitals and, and everyone else who has patient data will have to figure out a way to operationalize these opportunities in a way that's still a responsible way to run their business. So on a related topic that sort of ties into what the Cures bill is about, genomic testing is becoming more widely available. What potential privacy and security risks do healthcare entities and patients need to worry about as more of this sensitive data is collected? Well, I think, you know, genomic data is sort of an interesting example because it's a perfect storm of incredible opportunity to benefit from research, and it ties into the precision medicine project that's going on through the White House. At the same time, genomic data is both by law and sort of by practicality, information that is uniquely about you. And so it's very hard, and under the HIPAA rules, it's actually impossible to de-identify genomic information. And so it's sort of a perfect example of where you need to have good security, you need to have strong privacy controls, you can use that information for appropriate purposes, but you have to make sure, at least from the regulatory perspective, that there are appropriate controls in place. Now, it's also going to be interesting if you have, for example, a security breach involving genomic information. You know, it's not entirely clear what somebody would do with that information. If I steal your social security number, the reason I have that is, and the reason that's useful to me as a, as a thief is I can now go out and do things with it. I can set up a credit card. I may be able to do other kinds of things. I'm not sure what someone would do with that genomic information, but it's highly sensitive information. It's, it's risky, but we're not entirely sure 
exactly what the risks would translate to. So that's going to be another example where we have to find the right balance between taking advantage of opportunities both for individualized medicine and for broader studies and still protecting that information appropriately. So if those other provisions were signed into law, would this sort of genomic data also be up for grabs, really, if you wanted to share it with someone else? I mean, genomic information isn't isn't really treated any differently than most of the other information. There's a there's a couple of of provisions. I guess there's two ways it's different. I mean, one is you really can't de-identify it. I mean, most other information, there's a process to de-identify the information. You can't really do that with genomic information under the rules. There's also a couple of provisions in the rules which aren't really relevant to research about there are things you can't do with genomic information, like use it for underwriting and health insurance, which you can do with other kinds of information. But for the most part, it's treated like every other kind of information. So these provisions, if they are enacted, would increase the ability of hospitals and others to share genomic information for research purposes and even to sell it to drug companies in certain situations, but it's, it would be in the same category as any other kind of information that they would have about individuals. So, again, when you, when you talk about compliance officers or privacy officers, the challenge would be you know, to design rules that make sense for your company. The, the law, if these provisions change, and this is one reason why I think the provisions are problematic, the law would be very permissive on what you could disclose. I don't think most companies will take advantage of that full permissiveness because they'll think that that goes too far. But there's an opportunity to say, we'll give anybody everything because we're allowed to. There's another opportunity to say, well, we're not going to disclose anything to anyone. You're going to need to develop, I think, the right middle ground that will still take advantage of these opportunities while protecting privacy. You can do that. It's not exclusively a trade-off there, but I think these provisions in the law might go too far, particularly the ability to pay for data in the way of supporting research without necessarily having the right kinds of privacy protections. So what's your prediction? Do you think the Senate will also pass the 21st Century Cures Bill or another version of the bill with these HIPAA research provisions intact, and why? It's really two separate questions, and I think that's the challenge. I mean, what's happened so far in the House is that there was strong support for the core of the 21st Century Cures provision. The HIPAA pieces are basically a little tail on the much bigger dog, and so they haven't gotten the attention that a lot of other provisions have had. And so when you turn to the Senate, there's really two questions. One is what's the Senate going to do with the bulk of the bill, which is not privacy. It's the FDA rules and it's the innovation provisions and things like that. And and frankly, I don't really have a good sense of that. I mean, that's sort of a, a question of where the Senate's going to go generally on the bigger provisions. If they, in fact, like the provisions that are that deal with all the rest of the innovation pieces, Will they also say, you know what, we like that, but we don't like these privacy provisions, or we do like these privacy provisions, frankly, but we're going to look at these privacy provisions and pay some extra attention to them. What's happened so far is that I think those privacy provisions haven't gotten much attention. There hasn't been a real debate about them because the debate is focused on the broader issues about medical innovation. And so... My concern is that if this was a freestanding bill that had just these four provisions, we'd be having a very different discussion. And we haven't had that discussion because it's set as such a small tail on the much bigger dog. Thanks, Kirk. I've been speaking to attorney Kirk Nara. I'm Marian Kobasek-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.